Twas the weekend before Christmas, and here on the show, a Christmas tree farming is where we shall go. There's sugar beet too, as Nick Morris is here, plus Rebecca will bring us some open field cheer. And then, of course, if agronomy is your thing, we're also hearing from Sean Sparling. Hello, no more rhyming, I promise. We'll leave the panto performances for next week. Here, though, is your last full programme proper of 2018 and an early Christmas present in the week from DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Yes, good morning. If you missed it in the week, DEFRA's revealed that from 2020 there'll be a ban on the outdoor use of metaldehyde used to control slugs. DEFRA says there are other ways to mitigate their impact through soil preparations, such as sowing the seed deeper into the soil. Well, our agronomist Sean Sparling is with us throughout the programme. Hello, Sean. Morning. What do you make of uh, what Michael Gove had to say in the week? I can't say that on a Sunday morning. Um, however, it is incredibly frustrating as an agronomist and as anybody involved in agriculture. We've been stewarding metaldehyde now for three or four years. We've been doing everything we possibly can um, to help and mitigate the effects of it. We know that it is hydrophilic. We know it heads into water. We know that is the case. But it doesn't seem to matter. Um, everything we've done, we've lost it anyway. Now, we know that it is not damaging to human health. We know it's not damaging to aquatic life. We know the biggest issue is getting it out of drinking water once it gets in. Because of that hydrophilic nature, it binds to the water molecules. Um, I'm very, very disappointed, if I'm perfectly honest. The good thing about it, if there is a good thing, is we have six months more sales. So come May 2020, there'll be a use-up period from May 2019 to 2020. Come May 2020, we do have an alternative in ferrous phosphate, uh, which does work and it does kill slugs and it does kill snails and that's all it kills. So we do have an alternative. Um, But it's expensive stuff. It's three or four times as expensive. Um, Very, very upsetting, really, Sean, if I'm honest. And to hear the advice from DEFRA that if you want to avoid slugs, you simply drill your weed crop deeper is absolutely... Well, it's infuriating to see that sort of advice being given because don't you think we would be doing that anyway? And don't you think we are doing that anyway? Um, And you combine that loss of metaldehyde with the loss of neonicotinoids on cereals as well and the slug issue can only get worse and we just wonder how long it'll be before we lose ferrous phosphate as an active as well. So very, very, very upsetting, very concerning, um, not at all unexpected. All right, well, I know you're staying with us through the programme, so uh, we'll talk in a a moment. We'll get a very brief agronomy report from you and then a bit more about uh, the end of the year. But first, we're going to talk Christmas trees, if that's all right. Excellent. (laughs) Yes, uh, Lily Keane has been to see Rod Strawson. They've been growing Christmas trees on the edge of the wold since 1971. First his father and now Rod himself in a business that, like all in farming, is very dependent on the right weather as this year has proven. Uh, Well, unfortunately, we had, uh, during the beast from the east last winter, um, on the outskirts of plots, we had a lot of wind scorch, so the browning of uh, branches of the trees facing the northeastern side. So I've got a lot of trees that I'm unable to sell this year, uh, but I'm hoping will recover. I mean, we've worked around that problem. We've still got ample stock, so that's good. That was then followed by a very wet spring, which which gave us very challenging uh, planting conditions. And uh, then that, in turn, was followed by a drought. We're lucky because we're on a a clay loam soil, so very moisture-retentive soil. The trees, obviously, being established, uh, the Nordman fir 
which makes up 90% of production and sales nowadays, is naturally a deep-rooted tree, so, so on most sites has coped well with the drought. Um, however, young trees that are newly planted that haven't got the root systems established on sand land, there's been some, some exceptionally large losses. One producer I know of had planted 180,000 trees on sand land and 140,000 of them died this year as a result of the drought. Will it affect uh, Christmas tree sales? Can people expect to see you know, less trees on offer? We all work around these problems. That There's no shortage of trees currently. I think all we might see, uh, because it takes sort of eight to ten years to produce your, your typical seven, six, seven, eight-foot Christmas tree, um, I think we'll see in a few years' time a little blip on the radar that will just remind us that we, we lost a planting year. But but what will happen is people, you know, they've missed the spring planting, um, they'll, they'll autumn, have autumn planted, you know, or, or they'll plant larger numbers next spring. OK, and uh, it's quite interesting as well. I think a lot of people come and buy trees and don't appreciate the, the effort that goes in all year round. So obviously the run-up to Christmas um, is probably the busiest time for you, but I mean the rest of the year, what do you do to make sure that you're prepared for this time? Well, Christmas trees have gone from being almost a, a forestry byproduct, if you like, to a specialist horticultural crop. And so trees uh, are carefully selected, you know, specifically uh, for their purpose um, when, when they're young. And uh, they are constantly attended to um, pruning and, and shaping and, and manipulating them and uh, controlling weeds around them. And, um, and and even occasionally uh, insect burdens. The uh, Danish uh, seem to be the Christmas tree growing kings of Europe, um, exporting quite large numbers to the UK. I think we, we grow, uh, sorry, we use 7 million trees in the UK each year and uh, 2 million of those, approximately speaking, will be imported uh, from from the continent. Um, on the continent, they will be growing in areas of high rainfall on a, on a sandland uh, soil. Uh, we're kind of doing it the other way round. We tend to plant the trees on uh, clay-rich, wetter areas that uh, are less good for cereal production. So we, we have a, a wetter soil with lower rainfall, and on the continent they have a, a drier soil with, with higher rainfall. But um, so the trees are quite tolerant, and we and we can do a good job of it. And do you think um, real trees are just as popular as they were many years ago, or more people buying artificial? Have you noticed a change at all? No, I believe that numbers are fairly constant. They do fluctuate slightly, but um, ultimately, uh, despite sales also of artificial trees remaining fairly constant. Um, little bit bizarre but uh, no no there's still still as many trees real trees sold in the UK as there was last year or the year before okay and after Christmas then when it comes to the new year and they want to dispose of their trees um, what can what can people do as you mentioned to me earlier um, there, are, there are often uh, organizations uh, such as the Rotary Club that uh, you, you know you, you uh, pay uh, make a donation to charity through them and they will collect your tree for you. So that's a great way of doing it. Uh, or just quite simply getting it into um, green, chop it up and put it in your green waste bin or, or get it down to your uh, local uh, green waste recycling centre.
Good advice. That's Rod Strawson speaking there on the farm at East Ravendale with Lily Keane. A bit more from him a little later on. First, our last trip of the year to Newark Sugar Beet Factory to get the latest on the beet campaign with Nick Morris. Uh, Nick, last time we spoke, the factory was just reopening after that breakdown, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, last time uh, uh, we caught up, it was three weeks ago, in fact, and we'd uh, just gone through a couple of weeks of uh, downtime with we were running the factory at 50% throughput we had quite a major breakdown to our, our one of our tower diffusers but it was completed that uh, Sunday the 2nd of December I'm pleased to say and we're now back up to full speed so we're trying to uh, recapture some of that lost time and um, yeah really catch up on our on our throughput so making inroads on that for the time being just starting with a crop I suppose and uh, inevitably we'll uh, we'll give mention to the weather and we are now getting a reasonable amount of rain aren't we i have to say that uh, i know Sh- uh, sean reported a few weeks ago that things are pretty wet out there and i definitely concur however thankfully not too drastic in most situations and uh, overall in the main we can still get on with some reasonable harvesting conditions because of course the sugar beet crop extracts a huge amount of moisture out of the soil as it continues to grow while these uh, the weather is still relatively mild and the crop continues to grow from a grower's perspective it's really important that uh, they pick their moment however when they harvest their crop just to make sure they're not uh, uh, going to create um, too many roots in the field but also when they're putting that crop into store for a longer period it's really important to make sure that the crop goes in as uh, clean and dry as possible really just to make sure it's in the best possible condition for for storage so we're now 12 weeks into campaign it's not quite halfway through but not far off and at this point we've got 80 percent of our growers have now made a start with delivering sugar beet to us and the quality still remains very good uh, for this time of year but as usual at this time of year we do tend to see a slight increase in in dirt tear and that's up by half a percent since my last report although the average is still remains very low at 4.6 percent over the last month sugar content has reduced uh, by around half half a percent from its its weekly peak uh, that peaked at around 18.15% a month ago, and it's now 17.65% so far this week. So that's, again, quite usual for this time. And again, if, when you look at the actual average, it remains very uh, encouraging at 18%. We've got 103 contracts that have already finished uh, their campaign, and they're averaging 63.5 tonnes a hectare. So we will continue to see that increase uh, over the next uh, next few weeks so hopefully we'll end up a good bit higher than that of course we're uh, now into the the christmas period farming doesn't stop over christmas and uh, it doesn't really stop here at the factory either does it yeah that's absolutely right yeah we continue to process 24 hours a day all the way uh, through the campaign and christmas day is uh, just like any other any other day for us the only days we'll actually be closed for the reception of sugar beet is Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So that's literally just the days when uh, vehicles turn up to, to bring us our crop to process. But I'd just like to give my uh, sincere thanks to all the drivers of harvesters, loading shovels, lorries, and of course indeed our own staff uh, which are working in the factories who keep us supplied with sugar beet over, over the next two weeks and Boxing Day in particular. So thank you and I wish you all a very happy festive season. Excellent. Okay, well, here we are, end of the year then, so we'll, we'll chat uh, in January. It'll be next year, the next time we speak, Nick. It will indeed. I look forward to that. Thanks, Sean. All right, let's go back. He's here with us all morning, Sean Sparling, our, uh, our agronomist. 
Um, talk us it's, it's a short report this time of year, is it, for an agronomist? Uh, it certainly is, yeah. I'm going to hang my boots up for a couple of weeks now. And here's your report. The wheat is out in the field looking green. It looks all right. The oilseed rape is still out in the field. The pigeons have found it. The cabbage stem flea beetle larvae are within those stems, but there's nothing you can do about it. Winter barley looks OK. A little bit of manganese about, a lot of water about. Waterlogged fields, absolutely nothing you can do. Wrap it up for Christmas. Keep your eye on the pigeons while you're away. And that's the end of that. Blimey, yeah, it was short and sweet. Thanks again for now, Sean. In a moment, more from Sean as we round up the year, a little more from Rod Strawson as well, and Rebecca has the last report of 2018 from Open Field. Good morning, Sean. Last week of markets this week, before everyone breaks to enjoy the Christmas festivities and the new year, I am not expecting any fireworks over the next fortnight with majority of the trade away. However, it will be interesting to see what the new year brings. The UK wheat market, to be fair, has held up well this week against both a falling US and EU market. And UK wheat values remain supported at the farm gate, with prices still firmer than a month ago for the new year, with many growers able to achieve north of £175 a tonne X farm. Let's get a roundup of where prices are for the last time this year. The feed wheat market for the new year continues to trade between 172 and 176 pounds a ton X farm with a pound per ton per month carry through until May 19 where growers can achieve 175 to 180 pounds a ton X the farm. There still remains an 8 to 12 pound a ton premium on full spec group 1 milling wheat and a 3 to 5 pound a ton premium for soft biscuit wheat. Looking ahead to harvest 19 and prices remain higher on the month with most able to achieve 150 to 155 pounds a ton off combine with a carry through to November 19 where values are circa 155 to 160 pounds a ton X farm. For those yet to make a start marketing their harvest 19 crop these values present an opportunity to turn uncertainty into certainty and with uncertain times ahead it may be worth taking some cover and spreading your risk should these markets fall. Feed barley values remain flat but firm, with many areas of both Lincolnshire and Yorkshire achieving between £165 and £170 a ton X farm for the new year. Off combine next harvest prices continue to trade between £132 and £140 a ton X farm. It will be interesting to see if things alter when we start to see plantings of spring barley getting underway. A large spring barley area could well lead to feed prices coming under pressure. There remain strong premiums on spring barley for those yet to market their crop this season and it is worth having a conversation with your local open field trader to get more information. The UK and indeed European oilseed rate markets continue to fill the shadow of the ongoing US and China soybean saga. This week, the United States Department of Agriculture reported another flurry of purchases by China with some more being talked about. However, the market didn't overly react as the numbers weren't anything exciting. And domestically, our ex-farm values have started to erode slightly as we go into the festive break. Currently, for January, values are circa 317 to 321 pounds a ton X farm with a pound per month carry going forward until May. If we look ahead at new crop values off the combine, they're trading between 307 to 312 pounds a ton. However, with a strong forward carry through until November, where growers can achieve between 315 and 320 pounds a ton X farm. 
Thanks, Rebecca. Now, we can't end the year without a mention of the B word, Brexit. How might Rod Strawson, our guest from earlier with his Christmas trees, be affected by whatever 2019 has to offer? Well, as it stands at the moment, I mean, crystal ball, we've no idea. Uh, the same as everybody else, any other sort of small business. Um, you know, we, we can't really plan. We just have to keep going with our fingers crossed that what we're doing is, is the right thing to be doing. As I said earlier, you know, out of approximately 7 million trees sold in the UK, 2 million are imported, <coughs> excuse me, from the continent. And... Um, so will there be free flow of Christmas trees next year and going forward? Uh, that we don't know. So that, in turn, might be quite good for us. Flip side of that, we do use uh, some Eastern European labour during the harvest period. That's a, a, a concern for us. But I think my biggest worry is that I would estimate that 90% of the small transplant Christmas trees that, that we put in the ground at a foot tall, you know, to grow on to seven or eight foot tall, are imported from the continent. They just seem to be geared up to produce them and do a better job than we currently do. And will there be an issue over plant health restrictions? At the moment, we enjoy free flow of Christmas trees, uh, young and old, as it were, um, in both directions. So if that changes, you know, we, we, we don't know where we'd be, but there isn't enough nursery stock grown in the UK. We are entirely reliant on on the importation of, of the transplants from uh, Denmark and other parts of Europe to include Germany, Poland and similar. Rod Strawson there. Now, our agronomist uh, Sean Sparling has been with us all programme. He is, of course, chairman of the uh, Association of Independent Crop Consultants. Hello again, Sean. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Could have brought me a cup of coffee while you were. Anyway, we've been talking, we heard from uh, Rod Strawson uh, with the uh, the Christmas trees. He touched on the weather we've had just then on, on Brexit as well. It's been an unusual year, really, hasn't it? It has. And if you think back, it all started last November, December 2017, because we got snow for the first time at that time of year for a long time. Um, then we had a relatively benign December, really. It was quite a mild winter. We got quite a dry January, 40 mil of rain in January, 30 mil of rain in February, February Fildike, they're supposed to call it. March, it started raining, 85 mil of rain in March. Then April, 136 mil of rain. So everything was delayed. We had the beasts from the east in amongst all of that as well in February, March. So everything was delayed as far as spring plantings went. Now, the impact it had is when you put a spring crop in the ground which needs 150 growing days uh, and you're expecting it to grow in 90 days because you can't get it in the ground till the middle of May, that is why yields were so disappointing on some of these crops. I say some because it wasn't all of them. But we had an extraordinary period of weather because once we got to the 1st of May, I think May I took 24 mil of rain, June I took 3 mil of rain, July I took 14 mil of rain. So all of a sudden the compound effect of that dry off the back of a wet spring where we didn't get land in the ground uh, crops in the ground we then got them in the ground we got a prolonged period of heat and drought it wasn't just the drought because we were 28 30 degrees so it was a bumper year for pests it was a bumper year for pro crop problems not necessarily disease problems but just issues related to shallow rooted crops that didn't have to look for moisture in the first instance then when it came dry they had no root system to cope with it so we got out of it alive is about what we did the quality was very very good the winter crops the deeper rooted crops crops, the old seed rape, 
they managed okay on the right sort of land but what this year showed was it was all to do with your soil structure if your soil structure was right you had good drainage the structure was right the roots could go down absolutely fine if the structure was wrong and they sat wet over the winter that rotted off a lot of the fibrous roots and that's why we saw so many problems in the drought but moving into this autumn it's been quite an extraordinary autumn because we haven't had issues with slugs because we've had some of the best seed beds i've ever seen i keep banging on about slugs don't burrow through the ground they need us to leave holes it's been beautiful drilling weather and as a result we are going into christmas with probably the best looking and most even and most consistent crops that I think I've seen for 10 years so I'm very bullish about what we've got in terms of out there in the field I am less bullish about what happens if we get a no deal or a Brexit or is it a Brexit or isn't it a Brexit are we staying in are we going out what are we doing I have no idea so we're free to do as we're told in this country so let's just do as we're told you know as much as the politicians I think it's fair to say yeah well I think it's 99% of them that are giving the rest a bad name if I'm honest so uh, yeah so uh, that is the next big thing though isn't it 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 is what happens in the new year we're less than a hundred days away now from uh, from Brexit. Apparently, if if it if it does happen, and it is that uncertainty that's that's causing the big issue as we go into the new year, isn't it? We can't we can't forecast the well. We can for, try and forecast it. We can't predict what will happen with the weather forecast. Therefore, what will happen in the land? But with Brexit, it's even harder to predict. If we had any sort of deal to come out. A deal of some description is better than a no deal of any description because if we get a no deal, the certainty, these crops we've got in the ground, they haven't got a home. Can we sell them to the EU? Can we sell them away from the EU? Do we have to keep them? Can we import? All of those things come and I just hope that there's a bit of Christmas common sense and spirit hits Westminster. These people start realising this is nothing to do with them and their own political aspirations. This is to do with 70 million people who need some sort of security going forward. So we can only hope that Father Christmas is listening because I've sent him three letters asking for that. All right, Sean, thanks for the uh, company today. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We can't predict Brexit, but we can try to predict this week's weather at least. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Rather wet day uh, today if you're going out getting last-minute Christmas shopping. Six, the high, the wind from the east-southeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Further rain overnight tonight could be heavy to start Christmas Eve. We're looking at lows of around seven, so actually warmer than today's daytime high. Barely any breeze from the northeast where it does blow three to five miles an hour. Christmas Eve itself should be dry, fairly cloudy though, 9 the high, the wind more from the east at about 5 miles an hour. And then Monday into Tuesday, starting Christmas Day, it will be dry, maybe a clear sky in places where that is the case you might see a frost, generally lows of around 5, the wind from the south-southeast, again about 5 miles an hour. For Christmas Day, it will be overcast. We're looking at highs of uh, 8 or 9. Should be dry. The wind from the south, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then uh, it stays that way into Boxing Day. Even warmer, the wind from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour with highs of 10. The latter end of the week, it looks like staying settled. Maybe some sunshine in places, but mostly cloudy. The wind blowing more from the west by the end of the week. And we're looking at uh, daytime highs between 7 and 10. Overnight lows down to around 5 Celsius with clear skies. So that's the Christmas week forecast. Next week, we'll uh, have a brief look back at the year from Andrew Ward. And then it's panto time. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, We're giving it the title The Greatest Farming Show, loosely based on Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, We'll reveal all on next week's programme. 
I hope Father Christmas is kind to you, especially if you've been a good farming boy or girl. From all of the team here on the Farming Programme, Merry Christmas.